Hi everybody, it's Father Tony. Welcome back to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. Tonight we're going to talk about St. Paul and Gnosticism. Uh, hello, Jonathan Stewart. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Father Tony. Hello, Chelmsford, Massachusetts. <laughs> right, we're going to have fun pronouncing place names tonight on Talk Gnosis <laughs> After Dark. <laughs> And to, and to help uh, test my place name uh, pronouncing ability, we have Dr. Michael Kaler here from the University of Toronto, Mississauga? Mississauga, almost. Mississauga, oh, so close. Anyway, <laughs> place names are hard, everybody. You can, uh, you can try it for yourself at home, play along with the home game. At any rate, we're going to talk about the Gnostic Paul, and uh, Dr. Kaler joined us for the video portion, and we had an interesting discussion about some of the uh, broader parts of that subject, but today we're, tonight we're going to get into some details. So let's talk about some details. Uh, we talked about Valentinus briefly in the video show. Um, what, uh, what does Valentinus take from the writings of Paul, and, and what do they become under his teachings? <laughs> I guess it's, you know, that's really difficult to say because we have so little of Valentinus. Mm -hmm. uh, we really don't have, I mean, yeah, we, we only have a few fragments from him. So we know, I mean, as I mentioned in the in the broadcast, we do know that there was at least talk that he had been a disciple. He, he had been a student of a student of Paul's. Mm -hmm. So there's if, if that's accurate, then one important thing that he would have taken from Paul was a lineage. Um, and then beyond that, you know, um, it's tough. I would... My feeling is that beyond whatever specific Pauline references that he might or might not have used, there's a spirit of inquiry mm -hmm. um, that I think he might have picked up from Paul in terms of, you know, Paul's, I, whatever you say about him, he's he's a really, really interesting, bold, strange thinker. And I get the feeling that that, that spirit, that vibe was would have been influential on somebody like Valentinus. Mm. So what... What kinds of things were were um, how do I phrase this question? What kind what what phrases I guess do do the Gnostics pull out of Paul that uh, that they find useful? The I mean the the big key ones are uh, which this got alluded to on the uh, the earlier discussion uh, are the uh, principalities and powers type language. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you see in Romans, First Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, uh, that's huge. I would say that's the main, one of the big main, at least in the preserved, in the extant Gnostic corpus, that's the big one. Um, there's also, I mean, Irenaeus complains that whenever you try to argue with these Gnostic types uh, about the resurrection, they always go to First Corinthians, uh, latter, latter part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's important as well, but definitely from the I think from the Nankamadi collection, anyways, the big one is this talk of the the principalities and powers, the spirits of darkness, you know, that those sorts of vaguely demonic figures who rule the world. That's that's the biggest Pauline influence, I think. Mm -hmm. What what does Paul mean when he talks about those things? You got me. I, <laughs> I really. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think he would, I don't know exact lineage. I think he would have believed that there were sort of lower levels to the cosmos, including like they, he definitely believed in a multi-level uh, cosmos. And uh, he would have believed that there were lower levels in which 
sort of powers of darkness or you know semi-divine or demonic spirits uh had power if not whether or not they had absolute power or just some power but they were they were sort of circulating around there and and influencing things in bad ways i think he definitely would have would have believed in that Mm -hmm. but still part of the largely um judaic order of things I would I would say so yeah like I would yeah definitely in the sense that we don't we don't get the feeling that he would have like I mean there, there's that gnostic step that they take when you go when you know Paul would be saying yeah we screwed up in in the garden of eden and the gnostics would be saying no things were screwed up before then you know and the the guy who built the garden of eden screwed things up and I don't think Paul would have taken that step back hmm. And you mentioned in the uh, the video show and then kind of staying on these powers and principalities. You suspect or, or you think that, that he could be referring to uh, rogue angels who are kind of running the, the lower rebel, uh, lower levels while the good god is kind of above that. Just not quite the, the break in the chain of being that some of the, the later Gnostics see, but, you know, the world is kind of being run by these, these rogue angels. You think that's a possibility of what's running through his head? I could be, I don't know about, I mean, rogue in the sense of, I don't, I'm a bit hesitant to bring that in, in this, I don't want to bring up this Miltonian sort of battle in heaven and some of yes. the angels get, get kicked out. Like, I don't know, I don't know that that's the case, but definitely, it's certainly possible that these beings could have been for him sort of part of the, the angelic orders, you know, yes. there, there could be, yeah, that, that doesn't strike me as impossible. Yeah, I'm just thinking because the earlier... And again, it's, I'm not saying there's a direct connection or, or, or even that they're drinking from the same well. But, uh, I mean, you were also saying in the video show that we should be going back to the primary sources and not reading the heresiologists. But the, it seems like the earliest people that the heresiologists called Gnostics and the earliest layer that we have isn't necessarily talking about the Demiurge, but it's talking about rogue angels. And I, I, think, I think they're grabbing it from Enoch. You know, it's, it's not quite the battle yep. of heaven, but it's, uh, it's Enochian, you know, lower level of angels who are kind of running amok on Earth. Yeah, um, totally. So I find that I find that interesting that Paul might that that could possibly be Paul's conception of the powers of principalities because you know I, I think it is kind of likely that that's the first layer of this demiurgic idea that the earliest strata of it when we get to the second century Gnostics. Yeah, I think so too, and I think it's also it's it's there's a few things to think about in that. I mean, partly, you know, it's, it's been a while since I read this literature, but I believe in first Enoch, you've got that sort of, isn't that the one with the weird God's feet are in the eighth heaven and then yes. God himself extends over three heavens. It's a, it's a nut yes. or no God's feet are in the seventh and then he extends up to the ninth or something. So you've yeah, already got yeah. this sort of movement of the, of God outside of the, the sort of terrestrial spheres, yeah. uh, sort of elevation of him up to, up to even higher levels, which you could easily see Gnostics picking up on and, and running with, mm -hmm. uh, for sure. There's also the question of, of, um, whether if there are forces that are causing problems for us on this level, is this because the forces are bad or is it because we're in a bad place? Mm. You know, I think, and I, so I think for Paul, again, there might be that, you know, ambiguity that like we, these forces might not be necessarily rotten, but they're, they're giving us what we deserve. <laughs> and until we've gotten straight, until we've, until Jesus has wiped out our sins and we've accepted Christ, what we deserve is, is to get pooped on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> well, and Paul is also looking at this from uh, a standpoint of, you know, he's seeing the Christians being uh, actively persecuted. Uh, is he? Well, that's the <laughs> that's the uh, general understanding. How do you how do you see that? Well, that's the Acts story, but I don't know if it's in his letters. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Okay. I don't know either. I mean, I don't I I don't know when. Like the, the earliest, I th I believe that the earliest testimonies to Roman persecutions of Christians that we have comes like fifty years after Paul dies. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, and they're not. Like I'm not sure that they're. I don't believe that they were actually actively persecuted by the Roman state at that time. I they may again. This is not my field, but uh, I'm not sure when persecution from their fellow Jews comes in. Mm -hmm. Right. To what that starts, but I mean, uh, Paul's Paul's certainly not speaking in in a context of like active. The state is marshaled against Christians, sure. and they're all being you know strung up. That's not that's not what's going on. No, and I think I was more referring to the the Christians being kicked out of the synagogue and uh, right, yeah, and, and yeah, we don't, but we don't know when that happens. I mean, we know, like my again, it's been, I haven't, I'm not up to this recently, so you you should probably consult a real expert on it. But mm -hmm. my impression of it is that that comes later, mm -hmm. that that's sort of after the first uh, first Jewish revolt, sometime in the 70s or 80s. Okay, right. could, I could be wrong about that. I could easily be wrong about that, but that's that's my impression. No, that's fine. That's why I like to have scholars on the show because they often say that they don't know things, and that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes okay. refreshing in this field when somebody. Um, I will gladly confess to my ignorance on any number of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Um, Me three. Yeah. Okay. Um, what uh, I just wanted to go back to a thought that I had while you were uh, answering that last question. Do you think that, do we see any influences of Platonism in Paul's writings or middle Platonism or whatever is happening at that time? Oof, that is a good question. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to, yeah I, yeah, I would, sorry, that is a really good question. Um, I would have, my gut, my gut answer, which is just a gut answer because I haven't thought this out, is is yes. Mm -hmm. um, that I would say he was just so much. I mean, there's definitely you know philosophical terminology in Paul's letters. He definitely has at least a sort of a working work, I don't want to say working working man's, but like basic sort of educated Hellenistic world uh, mm -hmm. appreciation of some aspects of, of philosophy for sure. And I don't know how he would be able to avoid having a platonic, some degree of platonic influence in there. Uh, and we know obviously with people like, you know, Philo being the big one, who's pretty near to a contemporary of Paul, that this stuff was, was influential on, on Jewish Hellenized Jewish thinkers of the time, such as Paul was. Mm -hmm. So, I would say that it would be weird if he didn't have some, but I couldn't necessarily point you to what it might be. Okay. All right. Maybe uh, a, a future uh, future topic for a show then. <laughs> yeah, please. I didn't let me know about it. I'd like I'd like to see that show. Absolutely. I, I would find yeah I would find it shocking if it, if he if he's not because it's it's just in the air right he obviously has some yeah. kind of education as you said he's obviously exactly. has some sort of grasp on philosophy and um if you're writing in greek at the time it's it's going to be there even if you don't want it to be it'll be there subconsciously it's just it's in the air it's in the language are. right it's in the, yeah it's kind of built in plato and uh and platonism at the time it's just it's, it's just part of the vocabulary 
Um, but I, I do think I can just think of through a glass darkly, which which mm -hmm. sometimes to me sounds a little platonic. But uh, moving on. Uh, so, so we did. We talked a little bit about, or a lot about, kind of Paul and the powers and the principalities. But, but he does mention secret teachings, aeons, Sophia. Um, do, do and I know some of these are just common Greek terms. But yeah. do the Gnostics grab and run with these as well? The Gnostics, well, as you know as well as I do, I mean, the Gnostics certainly do grab and run with words like Sophia and Aeon for sure. Um, whether they're drawing from Paul at yeah. that point is maybe, uh, yeah, what, A, whether they're drawing from Paul, and B, whether they're drawing sort of proof text from Paul, or whether they're actually having a deep, profound engagement with Paul is maybe a different different question that you'd have to go case by case on. Um, but definitely these, these words are in the air, for sure. Uh, yeah, but I'm not so sure that, I mean, I think Aeon, for instance, definitely is evolving a more technical meaning through the second century in these writings uh, that, it, that it might well not have had um, for Paul at the time of Paul. And Sophia obviously has been an issue of, people are talking about her, you know, she's she's there pre-Christian, even if Gnosticism isn't, and, you know, she's, she's big for everybody. Like, you know, likewise with the Logos, right? Like, you know, there's all kinds of use of, the logos and are all of these uses going back to the prologue and john or how much of this is john picking up that language because it's in the air and other people grabbing it you know it's it's just it's hard to to trace um trace link ups but definitely i think this if you were of a gnostic headspace you it would be easy to find this kind of language in paul's writings and to think that he was writing about what you were thinking about for sure and that's, I mean, we can clearly see that happening in the hypostasis of the Archons, mm -hmm. um, which starts with the author saying, oh, well, you've read Paul talking about how this great combat with the spirits of darkness that we, we have to fight. Well, let me tell you what he really means. And then going into this great long thing that's pretty clearly not what Paul really meant. Uh, but there's, a, there's enough technical vocabulary overlap that the author felt that he or she could, could grab this stuff and, and use it. The Gnostics have a very rich history of taking things that other people have written and twisting them around for their own purposes. We're really great at that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. But who doesn't, right? right. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that it's a Gnostic. I maybe the conch. Yeah, I don't know that it's a Gnostic thing. I mean, that's just what religious people do. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, again, sort of what I was talking about the video show, and kind of one reason I wanted to do the show is. Uh, is, is there is this kind of idea that, that Paul is is the guy for fundamentalists, mm -hmm. you know, like right now, right. here and now in this world. He's, he's the guy for literists and, and fundamentalists, and right. several preachers love Paul. So it just goes to show you how you really can interpret and reinterpret these texts. And I'm sure if totally any can. of those guys are exposed to this uh, exposed to this material, then they would, uh, it might blow some minds. Um, Michael, uh, the heresiologists, they claim that Simon Magus was the first Gnostic. What's Simon Magus' connection to Paul? Uh, you, yeah, you mean, well, okay, there's an interesting connection that Simon Magus has to Paul in, in the, the Clementine, the pseudo-Clementine homilies and recognitions, where Simon, Clem, uh, Simon Magus is Paul. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's oh. used like he's used as a stand-in 
uh, he fights with Peter, as, as you probably know from that literature, and he's pretty clearly used as a stand-in for Paul. Like, somebody has a problem with Paul, and by Peter beating up on Simon Magus, he's 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 intended to be read as as a Pauline figure. So there's there's that connection for sure. Um, that, that, but that's a connection that other people, later people would have had in their minds. Um, I don't know, like historically, I don't even know, did Simon Magus exist? I'd, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, I don't know that there would have been a direct connection there, except if he existed and, you know, there would have been, he might have been indirectly connected to Paul in the sense that these are both people who have their own fairly idiosyncratic, interesting, uh, bordering on Gnostic, whatever that means, version of Christianity that they were trying to set up. So maybe as an entrepreneur of mystical Christianity, you could see overlaps between the two. But I don't, I don't, I'd be very dubious in connecting the two in any sort of real way. Yeah, but it, it, just in this mythological Clementine way, there's at least that connection. Yeah. There's somebody, you, uh, somebody seeing Simon Magus as a figure that he can use as a stand-in for Paul, for sure. Um. You actually mentioned sort of uh, mystical Christianity right there, and I already we already touched on this, but again, it's just something I find endlessly fascinating. But this idea that Paul is the guy for the fundamentalists, but if you read his letters, they, they are the letters of a mystic. It, I don't know if you agree with this, but he, he literally journeys to the heavens. He says he found Christ within himself, and he says that all believers are united in the body of Christ. Is this, yep. like, would you consider this mystical writing? Would you consider this these mystical experiences that, that he's he's writing about? Yeah, but I'm not sure what, I don't know that we have the same meaning, definition for mystical, right? Like, like yes. um, he's, he's definitely, he's, he's having visions for sure. Uh, and he's having a revelation of Christ being in him or with him or part of him or something like that for sure. He's also saying, though, at another point that, you know, speaking of glossolalia and, and speaking in tongues, and he says, I praise God that I do this more than any of you. So, I mean, there's definitely, there's that side of it, too. Like, he's not just, he's not just the guy who, who's having these rarefied visions and writing them down in deathless prose. He's also the guy who's rolling around on the floor and frothing at the mouth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, so that's, I don't, I, to me, I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, I, I think these, these separations that we might have between a sort of more fundamentalist Christianity and a sort of mystic Christianity, I think these separations happen after uh, the time that Paul's writing in. Yes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do the Gnostics take anything uh, from Paul's writings about the law? And I actually put the law in quotations because, uh, of course, that's often the way kind of he refers to it, just the law. Yeah. Did uh, did you know that? Did they reinterpret his writings about the the law in any ways in the second century? Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because I mean, there's definitely lots of talk about. Or, there's not the explicit discussion of the laws is, is interesting in Gnostic writing because there's not as much talk about it as, as I would have expected, given the importance mm -hmm. of it. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's clear that they're thinking about it. Um, mm -hmm. I think you could go one level under and sort of find find 
you know, you could investigate how they're looking at human freedom, human liberation, and all that kind of thing, and you can find Pauline echoes or references to Paul. You can definitely find clear references to letters in which Paul discusses the law. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they don't do as much with explicit uh, you know, law-hating type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the big example that I'm, I'm, the big exception to that that I'm thinking about is is uh, the treaties on the on or sorry, uh, not the treaties on the resurrection, but uh, Ptolemy uh, Ptolemy de Flora, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, b- which we don't have in a primary source, unfortunately. But there, there is some sort of Gnostic reflection on it. But in the Nicomachean stuff, there's some, there is some discussion of it that that we could trace back to Pauline stuff, but not. Not as much as I would have expected. Mm-hmm. On, sorry, on the one hand. On the other hand, I find it impossible to believe that a second, third, fourth century Christian who's thinking about their relationship to the law, to the Old Testament God, all that kind of thing, I find it impossible to imagine that they weren't thinking about that in a way that was influenced by Paul. Yes. Yeah, of course. And um, I actually, and that, that's a good segue into my next question. Uh, who was Marcion and what was his connection to Paul? Okay, um, Marcion was a, a first half of the second century uh, uh, Christian uh, who basically, it seems like, I mean, from, you, you yeah, he's, whether or not you, you want to call him a Gnostic is, is open to, to question depending on how you define Gnosticism. Um, I don't, I wouldn't put him in Gnost- as a Gnostic, but many would. Um, he was somebody who basically, tried to resolve the apparent contradictions between Jesus on the uh, Christ on the one hand and uh, Judaism on the other by sort of severing the links and basically sort of going, you know, Jesus uh, was the Messiah. He wasn't the Jewish Messiah. You guys are still waiting for yours. He was a different Messiah. Um, and Marcion tried, what he wanted to do was sort of produce a purged or simplified or whatever uh canon because you know if you've i mean we've all grown up with the four gospels and they strike us as as normal but they're really quite odd you know to have four stories that don't really tell exactly the same story about Mm -hmm. jesus is is a little bit weird and there were a few attempts in the first century to to sort of resolve that uh one of them was like the the diatessaron of tatian which was attempting to merge all four of them together into one big text marcion seems to have went okay i like luke um, I'm going with Luke and I'm going with Paul. And that would that would have been his, his New Testament. He just would have pruned away the other stuff. He may or may not have, he seems to have done some editing on Luke uh, to try and get rid of some of the, the more Jewish, uh, what he perceived as the more Jewish aspects of it. So he would have been somebody who would have said, you know, Paul and Luke are my guys uh, and just sort of cleansed, purged the canon uh, down to that. That's, yeah, whether that's something that Paul would have approved of, uh, I don't know. I, well, I don't know. I, I do know. I'm sure he would not have approved of that. I think he um, would be appalled, you know. So wait, yeah. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, he would have been appalled. You get one free one. Oh. Uh, and then, yeah, but that, that would have been Marcian's relation. Is he would have found uh, Paul useful, I think, mm-hmm. to him. And probably a big chunk of that would have... I mean, a, purge, a, a purged Paul, because Paul obviously talks a great deal about how, how Jesus, the relationship between Jesus Christ and, and the Jewish God. But I think stuff like the, the intro to Galatians uh, would have been attractive for Marcion in terms of uh, a sort of, 
a source of revelation that's that's kind of coming out of nowhere um that would have been something that he would have liked yeah and he he believed that there was there was two gods but but one was one wasn't necessarily an evil god the kind of the ruler of this world but he was a uh, a very strict yeah. god a god of the law and then the god of jesus was kind of a, a chiller guy <laughs> yeah 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 so the, yeah oh sorry go ahead yeah. no go ahead Go for it. Oh yeah, that, that, that was basically my question. So, so the Marcion believed in, in two completely separate gods, but it wasn't quite what, what you would see like in the Cephian text or whatever. You know, there isn't there isn't a fallen demiurge who nope. is necessarily evil, but the god yeah. the god of this world is is just is just kind of a jerk. Yeah, strict. I would say like a, a just a just god by ancient Greco Roman patriarchal standards of justice, which were harsher considerably harsher than ours but yeah and and yeah and that's that's one of the reasons why i would not call marcian a gnostic because for my own personal which i'm not promoting whatever but my own personal understanding of gnosticism one of the essential elements is that idea that the revelation returns you to the status that you had before you forgot mm-hmm. and for so marcian for sorry, marcian, but you're saying gnosis when you say revelation like did you yes been, yeah. Yes. You, exactly. you have to have gnosis and gnosticism. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but yeah. But for me, the the key is that uh, is it's a recollection of what you were. Mm-hmm. Right. And for Marcion, that's not the case. What Christ is bringing is a new status that okay. you didn't have before. So mm-hmm. you're actually like for me, the Gnostic thing is you were in some better situation up in the Pleroma, you fell or the light fell or whatever into into materiality, and then it's being redeemed to get back to what it was. Whereas I think with Marcion, it's not getting redeemed to go back to what it was. It's achieving a new state that it didn't have before. Okay, very interesting. And then I, I don't know if you know this, and I, I think it's something kind of contested in 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 academia. But but did some of the the other Gnostic groups, the the, the Cephalian, Valentinian Christians, you know, kind of get some inspiration from Marcion and his ideas, or just got this idea of two gods stuck in their head, and then elaborate on that, or is that just something we can never know? I yeah I don't yeah it's a, it's a really interesting question I don't I don't see I've never deeply again I'm going to plead you know take take what I'm saying with a grain of salt I've never seen references to Marcion I don't know how influential he would be I also feel that um, uh, he was not my my impression of Marcion is he was not a subtle or profound thinker he had <laughs> yeah. You know, he had this one big idea which he just sort of doggedly held on to. And yeah. to me, that's a spirit that's not going to be tremendously attractive, at least for the Valentinians. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's, it is a simple and logical idea, right? In, yeah. in a way, like I can understand the thought progress. And it can, it's almost like a seven-year-old in Sunday school when, when you don't yeah. you know, get the intricacies of the text and see the connections between Old and New Testament. You're like, well, there must be two gods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was—he was something about the asceticist, right? He thought that there wouldn't be any Christmas story in his in his version of Luke. Jesus just boom, poof. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was not into Christmas, and there's other reasons to hate him too. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Father. I've been uh, I've been rambling along with my list of questions. Sorry, viewers at home. We do we do write down the questions. I know you think that this brilliance just spills forth from us, but uh, do you do you have some? Uh, do you got? You got something to chew on? You got something on your mind, Father? Well, yeah, a little inside baseball. The genius spews forth from Jonathan, who writes down the questions ahead of time. 
So, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you send him your, your angry letters or whatever. Um, though, uh, so I, I, I see a lot of, and I don't know if this is a new idea or not, but there's a lot of people out there who want to say that the version of Christianity that we have today is pretty much just whatever Paul made up at the time and really has... Uh, almost nothing to do with Jesus and Jesus' historical teachings, uh, quote-unquote, whatever those might be. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I have a few thoughts. Um, yeah, okay, number one, I wouldn't, I don't know that we have one version of Christianity today. Well, sure. Uh, would, like, <laughs> like, would you guys call yourselves Christians? Yes. Yes. Okay, so, you know what I mean? Like, so I, mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I don't, I, I don't think we've, we've ever had one version of Christianity. Sure to start with. Uh, but in terms of the people, the, that sort of mainstream Protestant Christianity or whatever, Protestant and Catholic mm-hmm. being a creation of Paul, I guess there's a few things. One is that there's always this balance when you bring in religious innovations, right? You, if, if they're not new enough, they're not innovations. Okay. But if they're too distant from what people are expecting, they don't get accepted. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you come in with a totally radical, different message that nobody's thought about or that's totally alien to what people are talking about, they're not going to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So to my mind, whatever Paul would have brought in had to get past like there already was a Christian establishment there. And I mean, admittedly, they didn't parts of them didn't like him very much, but uh, it couldn't have been too utterly bizarre or it would not have succeeded in that context yeah. uh so i don't know how totally different it was from what was going on uh i definitely think the other problem is that we have whatever x number of letters from paul and that's it right yeah. so we don't know what else yeah. was going on based on paul's letters if the pauline christianity had absolutely triumphed would we have had gospels because paul in his letters really doesn't care that much about jesus life Mm-hmm. Right. He's he uh, we don't know what he was talking about in when he was talking in congregations. But in the letters, he's really focused on Jesus's death and what that means mm-hmm. like that's So I don't know if Paul had really been so successful. Would a truly Pauline church have hung on to these accounts, these gospel accounts of Jesus life? I don't know if it would. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. these are all sorts of issues i i think there was a balancing act like i definitely i don't know that yeah i would see paul it's like he definitely seems to be the guy who got if he if if, even if he wasn't he clearly wasn't the only person doing outreach to non-jews but Mm -hmm. he's definitely the guy who got memorialized with sort of shifting the current of christianity from being this inner judaism sect to something that's much more Hellenistic, that's m- appealing much more to Gentiles. Um, and that's that's huge. That's really big. And I'm sure in shifting that, like uh, he because he was the guy, it, it was filtered through it, through him. A lot of stuff came through him. But yeah. I just, I don't know if, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think it's too simple to say like all of, there was this wonderful, pure Christianity that's everything. Mm-hmm. Christianity to be prior to Paul and then he messes it all up. I don't I don't think I think that's too simple. Right. So maybe yeah. Paul and played the role of uh, uh, PR person for the message. PR, of Jesus. I'm, sure, I'm sure he affects it and influences it for sure, but I'm also sure that he doesn't start from a blank slate. Yeah. 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 
just I'm, I'm glad you asked that that question, Father, because it's another sort of bugaboo of mine. Because it's uh, it's just something that you see so much again in pop culture. Like it, it pops up in Last Temptation of the Christ, the movie and the book, sure. yeah. and then it pops yeah. up on ninety nine percent of internet comments, including those on our YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, sheeple! Wake up, sheeple! Point it all up. I mean, my question would also be, given that Paul Paul is writing in the forties and fifties, if you yeah. accept sort of traditional dating for the Gospels, they're yeah. coming in whatever the late 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s. So yeah. like they're dealing with a Christianity that's already been impacted by Paul. Mm-hmm. So my thing would be, where do we get information about the pre-Pauline Christianity? I mean, Q, <laughs> right. you know, that's pretty much the only place we can go to get it. You know, and Q is not, it's, there's there's problems around Q, one being that it doesn't exist. Uh, you know, and so, I mean, not that it may never have existed, but certainly we don't have it. So I'm just, if, we, if we're saying, oh yeah, Paul diverted Christianity away from this wonderful thing it was originally, my question would be, how the heck do you know what kind of wonderful thing it was before Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, it was sort of a similar topic. Um, in a few weeks' time, uh, we're going to have Dr. James McGrath on to uh, talk about the uh, the mythicists. But there's okay. a uh, there's a common idea among the mythicists, the so-called mythicists. They they claim that Paul proves there's never a historical Jesus, uh, just a mystical, mythical, divine savior. You know, kind of like the ahistorical Jesus we see in the Gnostics. So, what do you think of this idea that Paul proves that there was never a historical Jesus? Uh, I don't think very much of it. <laughs> uh, you know, like, well, but I mean, he does, he doesn't refer much. He's not so, so concerned with the historical Jesus, for sure. Yeah. Um, and you could question what he feels the relationship is between a historical Jesus figure and sort of the Christ kind of thing. But is do, I mean, Paul, Paul never comes around and says, oh, yeah, Jesus never existed. Like, he, he doesn't do that. Yeah. You know, and I think there's no reason to believe. I think he would have been dealing, he would have been working with communities of Christians who did believe that Jesus existed. So I would think that this would be something he would have to point out. You know, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that guy that your brother, and I mean, keep in mind, the Paul's starting to preach not too, too long after Jesus dies, right? So yeah. he would have to, Say you know that guy that your brother-in-law saw being nailed up on a cross. He's he's not real. <laughs> you know that's that's a strong thing to do. You know that's that's difficult to do, and I think that would have left more traces. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't hold a lot of water to me. All right. Um, I, I see that uh, we have come to the end of our list of questions. Is there anything that we didn't talk about uh, about Paul that you think is important that our viewers should know? Uh, with regard to Paul and Gnosticism. Yeah. Uh, or Paul in general. What's, what do you find yeah, interesting you about Paul? Paul yeah, what, why, what, what, yeah, what, what grabs you about him? I guess, you know, I, I would say that the, the thing to keep in mind, for me, the thing to keep in mind with Paul that also applies to Gnosticism is that these are extremely smart, idiosyncratic, complicated, strange people grappling with a with what i would call the christ event like with some big event mm-hmm. you know there, there's not i would say that if you have if you have a a resolution or 
a view on Gnosticism or on Paul that makes things simple and clear, you are probably being unfaithful to, to Paul or Gnosticism. You, that's, yeah. that's what I would take away from it. Like you can, you can study Paul for decades and not come to the bottom of what the heck he was talking about. And I feel like you can do the same thing with whatever, the gospel of truth. You know, the, even even a text like I did study the apocalypse of Paul in Nicomedia Codex 5 for, I mean, it consumed a big chunk of my life for five or six years. Uh, and that's not written by a tremendously sophisticated individual. Mm-hmm. And it's still like, it's, it's tough to get to the bottom of these things. So I, and I think Paul is the classic case of that. I mean, I think that's one reason why he survived is a, because he got there, you know, he was so early and so influential, but also because you can read Romans every day for, of your life for the rest next 30 years, you will not come to the bottom of it. And so that, I think that would be the takeaway for me would just be, these are not, these are not, people who are talking about things that get solved. These are very intelligent, idiosyncratic, strange people who are wrestling uh, with some event or revelation or gnosis or insight that they, for whatever reason, link up to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, you know, if if you're studying Paul or if you, for me, if you're dealing with gnosis, you're entering into this lifelong struggle you are not going to get answers, mm-hmm. uh, except maybe in rare moments of ineffable wonderfulness <laughs> that you get every 15 years just to keep you going. But for right. the rest of the time, th- these things are not about answers. They're about questions uh, that, that get attached to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's why, uh, <laughs> well, it's why for me, the mystical path is, uh, you know, is so appealing. It's just that right. at the end of the day, just give up with all the questions and just kind of just kind of exist in that space it's hard to describe but it is yeah, yeah, yeah the existing in that space though is is that sort of epistemi that sort of uh you're not existing in that space in the sense that okay i'll fi- finish up but there's there's i was talking about uh what would how would we define Gnosticism if uh, sorry at a, at a conference a little while ago how we would look at Gnosticism if we took Nag Hammadi as our as our definition of Gnosticism mm-hmm. and one of the things I concluded there was that Gnosticism is about it's not this sort of existentialist there is no meaning I mean Gnostics I think do feel that there is a meaning but we're not regularly in touch with it like it comes just often enough to let us know okay there's something out there keep looking keep looking mm-hmm. but we can't really settle with it and the th- the the contrast i was making was with manichaeism and i was saying manichaeism is where you go when you settle <laughs> right like man i can easily <laughs> I can easily see a Gnostic becoming a Manichaean. The, the, there's so much similarity in terms of the myths, in terms of the the beliefs, but Manichaeism says we have the answer. Yeah. Existentialism says, or postmodernism says, there's this, just this shifting play of interpretations. There is no answer. Mm-hmm. Gnosticism, and this is what for me links it up with psychedelia, says, yeah, there is this shifting play of interpretations going on, but somewhere through the fog, we can dimly see that there is some kind of an answer if we could only get there. That is a really great explanation <laughs> of yeah. all of that. No, I like that. That was fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. That's that's going as just an exclusive clip on our on our Facebook. So final final question, and I understand this would be controversial, but what's what's the best album by Yes, Michael? 
<laughs> well, we we in fact it is controversial because we fought over it, and you, as a you know filthy heretic, I think we're talking about close to the edge, whereas yeah. it's clearly related. Yeah, <laughs> the the album without Rick Wakeman, the one that that was that was recorded after he left, which is just blasphemy. So here you're committing blasphemy. I'm I in, know it... I'm in Montreal, by the way, which is like you know. Quebec is the prog capital of the world, and if you came spreading that filth here, I'm pretty sure they would nail you up. We used to have the joke that if you ever wanted to make a living as a burglar in Quebec, you would just choose the nights when Yes or Genesis were playing. <laughs> no, nobody would be home. Yeah, I, for sure. I've never heard that one before. That's pretty funny. Totally. Although, actually, after you asked this question, too, I went back to time in a word. I do have one um, more serious question, actually. Okay. <laughs> not that sure. that's not interesting. Um, uh, I read The Gnostic Paul by Elaine Pagels yeah. many years ago, and I remember um, not exactly being poured to tears, but uh, yeah. it, was, it was dense. It was a very dense uh, thing, and I, I hear a lot of Gnostics you know, cite that book as, a, as an influential and important work. And it is. I mean, it's a, uh, an interesting way of, of looking at the writings of Paul and, and through a Gnostic lens and, and how yeah. that can be used um, in a, well, in an academic way, but also in a, um, you know, a day-to-day practicing Gnostic kind of a way. Uh, w- when, when approaching a, a subject in that way, um, and, and you know, seeing as how you've studied Paul and Paul's relationship to Gnosticism, does does your opinion of the works change um, in an irreversible way? I'm not I'm not ex- I'm not answering asking this question in a very very good way, but like I think that if you ask ten Christians, you know, what does Paul talk about, they have a pretty Right. Unified response, right? Um, but as somebody who has spent as much time as you have studying Paul, do you find that same clarity? I guess you kind of answered that, but yeah, I don't find much clarity. I think there's, I think Paul's an absolute genius, and they're and deeply weird, and they're 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 just many different things you can pull from Paul, you know. And so I guess yeah, I could never read Paul. Well, the thing is, like, I didn't get into Paul, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, uh, and I didn't get into Paul first. I got into Gnosticism first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've never had that reading experience of Paul where you're focusing on the pastorals and Paul's, like, you know, the, the sort of paterfamilias for your church. Like, I've never I've never had that reading experience for Paul. So that, that reading experience actually... I know this is my bias, but it strikes me as deeply weird and alien. Um, for me, Paul has always been deeply interwoven with Gnosticism, mm. but I recognize that that's because I got into Paul from Gnosticism. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I, but I, I, I hear your point. Like, I think any, I think any reading of somebody, I mean, you any reading of somebody in a given intellectual context is going to alter how you, how you perceive them for sure. Um, you can never go back to that state of innocence. Uh, but there, well, no, but that, there, sorry, let me correct that. There never was a state of innocence. Mm-hmm. Like you can never, you, you would never read Paul without a context. Uh, and so the nice thing, 
the bad thing about studying is you can't get back to that unconscious intuitive context the nice thing about it is that it can maybe make you realize that yeah this is all a context like for sure i'm reading paul you know you're reading paul from the context of a of a of a gnostic that's cool and to the degree that you acknowledge that it might be easier for you to make the jump to seeing oh yes and this person is reading paul from the point of view of a mainstream whatever pentecostalist mm-hmm. you know and you can maybe the fact that you've got this intellectual understanding of that you're creating your context for Paul might make it easier for you to jump to understand that they create their context for Paul. It's a step removed. Uh, it's, it's almost as, the, as if you're approaching it as literature. Uh, well, I mean, it is as if you're approaching it as literature yeah. and, and you are using those tools um, as opposed to yeah. just, you know, a strict religious meaning and there's only one meaning and if you get it right, you're good and if you're not, you're out, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, too, like, I'm just more and more as I age, I mean, I don't work a lot in ancient Gnosticism anymore, um, because I'm getting more and more convinced that, A, we can't know what was going on in these people's heads, Mm. and B, uh, there's a quote from Robert Sheckley that I really like, one of his characters says, I dig real things the most, (laughs) you know, and I'm just like, I'm kind, the older I get, the more I'm interested in like the more I figure I'm not going to know what's going on in Paul's head. Whereas I can talk to you mm-hmm. and get some idea of what's going on in your head. And so, you know, maybe that's for me, that's, that's an interesting way to go is less like, I don't know what's, what was going on in Paul's head. Maybe he was just insane, you know, <laughs> who knows, but I can talk with modern Gnostics and go, huh, that's interesting. This is how Paul, this is what Paul is doing for them. This mm-hmm. is how they're using these words. You know, and the older I get, the more interesting that gets to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> one thing that I, I thought of while you were talking is when I had a, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook about, um, uh, you know, you're seeing all of these uh, adult coloring books lately and, sure. uh, you know, the, the mandalas and, and all that stuff that people okay. are coloring. And uh, this fundamentalist Christian woman, actually, I have to presume, was a fundamentalist Christian woman. I don't know anything about her, but posted something that says, if you're coloring those mandalas, you know, you, that is the work <laughs> of the devil and you should, uh, you should stop immediately and repent and all that stuff. And I thought to myself, what a convenient worldview that is to just know yeah. And just not even question it and say, you know, that is that is what my Bible tells me and that's all I need to know, even though the Bible is quite mum on the subject of mandalas. Um, yeah, and adult coloring books, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it is convenient in some ways, but, I mean, you're going to go through... You're going to go through shit regardless of what... I mean, just that's just the human condition, right? So, I mean, you're going to go through you know, doubt and confusion and feeling out of place and like an outsider and living with people who you know would have killed you mm-hmm. 500 years ago if you're a Gnostic. Yeah. So that's a drag. On the <laughs> other hand, like, I don't know, I remember talking uh, one of my fundamental fundamentalist Christian friends from years ago and she was getting, we were talking one night and she was saying, yeah, she was really bummed because she felt like she could never get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for her, that meant have a relationship with a man, period. And I was like, why is that? And she said, well, because you know, the Bible says pretty clearly that if I get married, I will have to obey my husband and you know take him as the head of the family. And she's like, I don't think I could do that in good faith. And wow. so she was basically like, you know, so she was setting herself up for a life of celibacy and, you know, 
you know, fairly strict celibacy in a lot of ways, and just and you know, in within a faith community that really highly valued the whole go forth and multiply, like mm. you know, the, she was setting herself up for a world of trouble, um, or a pain uh, on the basis of of her fundamentalist conviction. So I, I don't think anybody gets out of this life without going through a lot of shit, uh, and I think you know, anti-Mandela coloring book lady is she's going to get her she's going to get whapped in the head a lot too mm. you know um you know what i mean so i think it's yeah i don't i don't know that that's about like i don't think the, the idea that she gets a free ride and she just gets to close her mind and and it's somehow easier for her i don't think it is mm. i think there's certain kinds of shit that she gets to avoid that you don't uh-huh. but there's also certain kinds of shit that she will go through that maybe you won't have to right See that that's a very Gnostic uh, statement. That's, that's <laughs> like sure. <in> the Kenoma. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, the other thing too is like if we know anything from human history, like we know that having these, at least professing these sort of weird ass hardcore fundamentalist type beliefs, is as far as we can tell the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. In many ways, she's more faithful to human history than than you are. No offense, um, or than I am, you know. You know what I mean. So, so there's that comfort too. Like, there's certain aspects of what it means to be human that, by being a jerky fundamentalist, she's she's in touch with in ways that, that you and I are not. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. It's depressing as all hell. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you know, it's true. Like, it's you know, Donald Trump. <laughs> deeply, deeply human in way, or Ted Cruz. Like these are, you can find lots and lots of Donald Trump. I'm not sure about Ted Cruz. Trump, <laughs> Trump, I think. But Cruz, I'm pretty sure, is an alien in, in a human suit. Well, <laughs> or a lizard. Yeah. Yeah, but you know about the reptile beings who are controlling us all, yes. right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, we had a guy on a couple of weeks back. We talked <laughs> all about that. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, no. So the, I know there's that stuff to keep in mind. Like I just, I hear you. Like I think she's. I think she's she's making some choices that are that are making certain things easier and more convenient, but I think they are making other things harder uh, for her. And unfortunately, she's going to ensure that they're harder for everybody else too. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody gets to everybody gets to make that choice for themselves, I suppose. Yep, they do. All right. Well, that's uh, that's about time for us. So uh, thank you once again, Dr. Michael Kaler, for joining You're us welcome. and talking about Paul. We really appreciate all of your insight on this. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys, and you know, good luck and keep it up. You've got, you've had some great speakers, and I think I'm looking forward to see who you have uh, have up next. All right, thank you. Well, we will keep you in the loop. Absolutely, sounds great. Okay. All right, so uh, we are going to close out for tonight, and I will put links to Dr. Kaler's uh, academia.edu profile in the description of this uh, podcast, so you can go ahead and check out all of his scholarly works on the subjects that we talked about tonight. And for those of you who are listening along at home, we will see you next week. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. 
To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c. I'm <laughs> sorry.